When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Pittsburgh Steeler fans, welcome back to another episode of Steeler Stat Geek. This is Steel Curtain Network editor Dave Schofield coming at you Thursday morning. We are done the entire 2023 NFL season. We're halfway through February. We're rolling on. We are less than a month from NFL free agency. All kinds of interesting stuff going on. Things that we can talk about. Got some numbers to do. I'll, I'll I'll update a little bit, salary cap stuff, but not really, not driving that deep because there's so many unknowns with it. Um, talk about a few things. First of all, I want to say this is a, an ever-evolving story at the time that I'm recording this, you know, just thoughts and prayers out to the people in Kansas City that had to deal with uh, with the, the horrific ending at the, at the parade today. Uh, I don't – so much could be changing by the time you listen to this. I'm not going to go into any details, but uh, – just to just to know that, uh, man, some people just suck. Anyway, let's talk some Steelers football. I thought I was going to have to do more on this topic uh, when I listened to yesterday's Let's Ride with Jeff Hartman. But you know what? He fixed it. I, I must have messaged him in the middle of his show when I'm like, Jeff, I just noticed a number that was wrong in your article from yesterday. And now that makes sense why people were asking me the question they were. Jeff, I don't think Jeff realized it. He he reached out to me while he was writing the article. I had just hit publish on the reports that the Steelers were parting ways with Mitch Trubisky. Seriously, within two minutes of that publishing, maybe even less, the Steelers officially announced that they had released Mitch Trubisky, Chooksakorfor, and Presley Harvin. So because I just did that article, Jeff did the other. I'd already done all the numbers with Trubisky in that one. Jeff just asked me. I thought maybe he was using my numbers from that article. I wasn't sure. He said, hey, what's the numbers for Accor for and Harvin? So I threw it out there, told him what the numbers were for, for those two when it came to the salary cap. Well, Jeff, I don't know if he just forgot that he got the number from somewhere else. 
I know where he got it. He got it from, from Jerry Dulac, who Jerry didn't say anything wrong. It wasn't a wrong report. Just it was one of those things when it might not sound great by saying it one way, you say it a different way to make it sound so much better. Um, and his number was awful, but he forgot a digit in the middle. He said 11.5, it was 11.25. And it was how much money the Steelers won't have to pay Mitch Trubisky over the next two years by releasing him now. Yeah, it was 11, $11.25 million. That was not Trubisky's salary cap saving. That was how much salary they would not have to pay him for 2024 and 2025 combined. So when I went back and saw this in Jeff's article, I just had to say, uh, we got to change something here, Jeff. That number's not right. The Steelers don't actually save all that much. Not all that much to save for, for, for the Steelers when it came to to all these moves. Now, to, 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 to Trubisky and Harvin, there was uh, significant savings when it came to Acora 4, but we'll get to that in a minute. With Trubisky, they're only saving not even $3 million before displacement, okay? Before displacement. That number, if I have it, have it correctly, is – like I said, just under $3 million, the exact amount of that was 2.943333, keep going, um, when it comes to the salary cap saving because the Steelers are releasing him now. He's a street free agent. They're not doing a post-June 1st designation. I don't believe they can if they're releasing him this early um, because he, they would, he wouldn't even be able to be a free agent until the beginning of the league year, if I understand that correctly, to my knowledge. But that's all they're saving because he had two years left on his deal. So his prorated bonus that would have been for 2024 and 2025 has to all come out of what his salary would have been this year. And for that reason, that's why Mitch Trubisky has such a high dead money hit of 4.6 and change million dollars. So that's why it's not a ton of savings. Now, if you take the displacement out of that, you are now looking at just barely over $2 million. Barely over $2 million to not have Mitch Trubisky. Now, okay, the Steelers knew this because they extended him one one more season last year because they wanted to spread out his cap hit last year. They knew they would have to take some of it this year if they, if they moved on, and I think that was the plan all along, honestly, unless he really blew him out of the water. So I think last year they extended him or else he was going to be released and this year it was like yeah let's just this is work out for either one of us all right so that so so that's Trubisky Harvin they're they're only saving 1.055 million dollars before displacement so when you really look at the displacement they are saying I mean it, it moved a nine hundred and fifteen thousand dollar contract up into the top 51 so therefore, you are talking like ninety five thousand or ninety thousand five hundred dollars, something like that. Um, the no ninety five thousand dollars. I was I was messed up where my five was in that in that in that whole thing of where Harvin's was. That's it after displacement. So not even a hundred thousand dollars from Harvin. Now with Chooks core for uh, at overthecap.com, they still have his contract on the books. And his base salary this year is $8.75 million. So after displacement, it would actually move up a $795,000 
uh, contract because that's the next step and that's where the Steelers would be getting. So you're talking about just under $8 million they'd be saving there. That's the significant cap savings, but that's only because that's the way it was set up. If you look at these three moves, yes, they saved cap space with Chooks quarter four. These three moves were not about the cap. These three moves were moving on from players that it was better for both of both the Steelers and the player for them to part ways. Steelers had no need for Chooks score for anymore. Some people were like, well, what if they got – no. The way things went down, it was better for Chooks to not be here. Some people wanted to get uh, some, some value in a trade. Nope, I didn't see that happening either with his contract. It, it was just better to to let it go. It's not like there's a ton of dead money with with Chuksikora for. It's not like that comes off the salary cap because that money was already counting towards the salary cap. It's under three million dollars. Um, but that the, the remember, dead money doesn't still go to the player. It's because they were already paid this money, but they haven't had to count it on the salary cap yet. Mitch Trubisky won't get another dime from the Steelers. It's just money that he was already paid that they haven't had to have count yet. That's where all this goes. So if you look at it, I would say, you know, the the, the Steelers are, you know, around $6 million perhaps over the cap. If you're looking at overthecap.com, uh, it would be after a core four. But also, I'm not putting a lot of stock in that number right now because we don't have the exact number from the NFL. We don't have the exact carryover from last year from the NFL. So there's just there's going to be other things. That number will come much more clear as you get get towards March. That's when I'll start doing my salary cap breakdowns at steelcurdnetwork.com. So I just wanted to hit you up with that for a little bit there. Another thing before we take a quick break is since I talked last Thursday morning, we had the NFL honors and all that. Cam Hayward, Walter Payton Man of the Year. I was really hoping he was getting it. I thought he deserved it, but I'm such a big Cam fan. I was like, is this my fanboy in me, or does he really have a shot to win this? And when the rumors were that he had won, I was glued to my TV until the very end of that. As soon as I got home from, from my son's basketball game, I was, I was not looking away because I, was, I, I wanted to take that all in. But when it came to the other awards, I know some people were are, you know, about this, that, and the numbers. We could debate all we wanted to about T.J. Watt. Me being a numbers purist, T.J. Watt had the best numbers. You get morons like Micah Parsons trying to spew stuff out there, but I don't blame him for what he's doing because I'll get to that in a second. But the reason I say – I shouldn't have called him a moron. I'm sorry, Micah Parsons. But you weren't very wise in what you're saying because you were contradicting yourself constantly. And you're just trying to shape things in a certain narrative. But unfortunately, that's what these awards are coming with the NFL. If you look at who the voters are and everything, I feel bad um, because it almost feels like every time the, the, um, the, these players win these awards, they need to walk on stage and like, and the first thing they have to say is, I want to thank the Associated Press. Just like I used to watch award shows with my wife. She used to enjoy them. I kind of got her out of watching them because of just all the other junk that went on with it. And but we used to I used to watch them together and things like that. It would make me so like want to throw up in my mouth every time that every time somebody won a golden globe, when they would take the stage, the first thing they had to do was thank the Hollywood Foreign Press. If they did not, Brown knows they would never be considered again. Because it's not about who's the best. It's about who the voters can spin to be the best. 
And that is, I, I'm, I'm frustrated that that's uh, infiltrated into the NFL somewhere where I thought it was more pure, that it was more about the numbers, but unfortunately it's not. Instead, they want to use subjective stats instead of objective stats. I've talked about that a lot on this show before, where they want to talk about like the big one that people have been bringing up is like pass rush win rate. Okay. Who's determining who wins? You don't have anything objective about if one person won or not. It's subjective. It's it's all based on the person who's scoring it. Okay. I've had people debate to me that that sports that get scored by judges aren't really sports. I said, including boxing. They're like, if it's not a knockout, yeah. You know, that that's their that's their cutoff. It's not really a sport if a judge determines your score and that's how you win. Rather than what you actually do on the court, field, whatever it would be, you you would be on. Okay. I I'm starting to understand that because there's so much subjectivity to it. And I thought that the NFL was much more objective. And they had a lot of things where they just ignored the stats. I feel like they completely blew the comeback player of the year because to me, Joe Flacco didn't come back from anything. He started week 18 the year before. And if you look at the criteria of what it is for comeback player of the year, you would be surprised that nothing about it is performance-based. It's not who played better. It's who made the biggest comeback from from something the year before, where if I'm trying to see if I can even find it, um, because I, I I have it saved somewhere in my in my uh, on my phone. Uh, that's the wrong one. Let's see. I'll find it here eventually of what the comeback player of the year. This was from an article on NFL.com. It says, by definition, the comeback player of the year award is given to a player who quote shows perseverance in overcoming adversity in the form of not being in the NFL the previous year, a severe injury, or simply poor performance. End quote. So if Joe Flacco is the comeback player of the year, it's because he sucked so bad last year. Okay. He didn't come back from anything. There's still, I mean, I can't believe Bob Labriola quoted in his asked and answer column a few weeks ago about Joe Flacco and a year off. He didn't have a year off. He didn't. He started for the Jets in week 18 last year and couldn't beat the Dolphins. And that's why the Steelers sat at home and didn't make playoffs. It was Joe Flacco. Okay, now, did Joe Flacco play pretty good when he came back? Yeah, he threw an interception in every game he appeared, and it eventually caught up to him. Um, but he was more, he was basically an uh, an average player on a good team that really helped him be able to do what he needed to do. So I don't care if you're saying, oh, well, it shouldn't go to DeMar Hamlin. He only, he only appeared in, some people said, two games. No, he played in five games. Same number as Joe Flacco, okay? But he mainly played special teams when he played. But my thing is, it's the severity of the injury that he overcame. And I can prove that to you. But I'll also say this. If Ryan Shazier ever would have stepped foot on an NFL field to even play one snap, he would have been comeback player of the year. All right? Then here's another one. In 2020, Ben Roethlisberger came back from his elbow surgery, went, what was it, 12-4? and four? Was it 12 and three? I think it was because he didn't play the last week of the season. That was before they went to 17. I'm pretty sure. Uh, no, maybe that was when they did 17. It's, his record was somewhere around there. He had 12 wins. Okay. He played better, um, like 30 touchdowns to something in the teens, interceptions. But who got it that year? Comeback player of the year? Alex Smith. 
he threw more interceptions than touchdowns. Yeah, yeah, he helped Washington, you know, finish strong, but he didn't even play in their playoff game. You know, he was dinged up a little bit and 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 everything, but he also wasn't playing all that great. But as soon as he came in, in the week that he came, I can't even remember what week the season was. It was halfway through the season or about. He came in in relief in a game, and as soon as he took a snap, everyone said, ladies and gentlemen, your 2021 comeback player of the year. Because it didn't matter how he played. It was the fact that he came back from such a horrific injury. But yet, because we have narratives out there, the voters didn't actually know what they were supposed to be voting for. They voted for a narrative and all that was so great. I'm sorry, DeMar Hamlin died on the field, was resuscitated, and came back and played snaps the next year. If that's not a comeback player of the year, I don't know what is. And I have, I, I mean, to me, I, it's not because he's from Buffalo. I don't even care that he, I think he played at Pitt. I, I, it doesn't matter to me. I'm not a Pitt fan. To me, it was about the actual right choice. So I was kind of really frustrated with the award show. Sorry that I've kind of got off a little bit. So between the TJ Watts and everything else, and I know everyone's like, oh, well, every NFL team uses PFF. Okay, PFF says that, but they don't use their grades. They don't use some of those subjective stats. They Every team uses because of how they compile their data. You can find out where players are aligning and things of that nature because PFF goes through and does that all. So every NFL team uses the actual good stuff that they have. But that's not the stuff that they're using to to, to push their narratives. They're, They're using subjective grades and things like that. NFL teams don't use that. And if they do, they're dumb for doing it. I know the Steelers don't. They don't care about PFF grades or things like that, but they do care about, oh, this receiver, I can look it up on PFF. They line up in the slot X percent of the time, and they line up wide and uh, X, uh, Y percent of the time. Things of that nature, the data that PFF provides in that form. But it doesn't. But then PFF makes you think that, oh, because they use one little part of our data, they use all of it, and they're giving their stamp of approval on our grades. No, they are not. That is a lie. All right, so I'm kind of a little bit frustrated about the whole nature of of the of what the NFL has done. That basically, Micah Parsons went and said what he did because he need, knows he has to kiss the butt of the Associated Press, and they'll pick him even if he's not the best player. T.J. Watt doesn't show up when he's not winning. I, it's not a good look. I admit. I think he should have come anyway. He should have been there for camp, if nothing else. There is no way the Associated Press is going to pick him for Defensive Player of the Year unless there is basically nobody else to give it to for that reason. And that's a shame. That's not how it's supposed to work. It's not supposed to be one of these narrative-driven things like, like you get with the movies and TV shows and things like that. That's not what it's supposed to be. NFL, you should be better. You should do better. You need to fix it. With that, I'm going to get to go on. We're coming back. I've got a deep dive from a great question when it comes to running back. So stick around. We'll be right back. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. 
Ships Registry, Bahamas. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Steelers fans, here we go. We're diving into some running back stats because I have a question. This comes from PM. That stands for Paul. Uh, I think it's Marlier. I, I probably said it wrong. Sorry, Paul. You can email me again and tell me how I butchered it. But uh, he had, that's who sent me a question before that I said I couldn't really answer. This is one that was a little bit more difficult, but I spent some time and really compiled some stuff. Um, and this is what he said. He said, I was wondering why some games Warren or Harris got more yards. Was one better on the road? I know Warren um, ran like he was possessed in Cleveland. Was one better on grass or turf? I know some analysts pointed out that it was scheme-based for success of one over the other. I don't want to get people started on who should be the starter. I'm just wondering if Smith's scheme will fit one over the other. And if I get them in fantasy football next year, then when is the best game to start them? Thanks, Paul Marliere. Something like that. Sorry, Paul. Uh, Nerd of Steel is how he signed it. Now, I'll tell you this. I'm not getting into which one's better for Arthur Smith's scheme. I'm not as much into looking at that kind of thing with statistics because I'm looking at the stats. I am looking at the numbers. So let's dive into this number. These, or sorry, these numbers. I, my goodness, I created a spreadsheet <laughs> to break all this down. And let me see. For a, It's got 12 tabs on it just to compile all the data. But this is what I did. I brought the totals for Jalen Warren, Najee Harris. Now, I should say this. No other running back got a carry last year. I I brought this up on the Skillbro Show because we talked about running backs this week. And no other running back had had a carry this year. I mean, you could argue if Connor Hayward is a fullback. Um, I'm not counting that. Uh, So this is, you know, it was the Najee Harris, Jalen Warren show. So – I went ahead and looked at the totals. I went ahead and included the playoff game as well. And I looked at rushing attempts, rushing yards, uh, rushing yards per attempt. I went ahead and looked at the receiving just to keep the data there. I had target receptions and yards. I did that for for both players. Um, I didn't get into touchdowns because that really could be uh, situational. So I really wanted to to focus more on the yards based on, on the data that I was asked to break down. So let me first give you the totals. Here's the totals. 
Jalen Warren rushed with in playoffs included 157 times for 822 yards, which was a 5.24 average. He was targeted 76 times for 63 yards with 386 receiving yards. Najee Harris uh, had 267 rushing attempts, so exactly 110 more. He had 1,072 rushing yards, and or which gave a 4.01 yards per attempt. Um, he was targeted 41 times with 31 receptions for 185 receiving yards. I will tell you this, neither player had a receiving touchdown this year. I also went and broke it down. I averaged it per game. So, like, for the whole season, Jalen Warren had 8.72 rushing attempts per game, 45.67 rushing yards per game, um, 4.22 targets per game. For Who cares about targets? I shouldn't even do that one. Uh, he w- He had 3.5 receptions per game for 21.44 receiving yards per game. With Najee Harris, he had 14.83 rushing attempts per game. So that is just over six more per game than Warren. He had 59.56 rushing yards per game. That's almost 14 yards more, not quite. And he had, um, uh, forget targets, 1.72 receptions per game for 10.28 receiving yards per game. So that's the breakdown per game. Now, let's look at some of the data. Now, first, let's look at grass versus turf. Now, to let you know, I couldn't sort this data this way. That's why I had to compile it myself in my own spreadsheet and then mark which, which games were which. Now, I did use pro football reference where all these numbers came from, and some of these added total up myself then, but, or, you know, calculate them on the spreadsheet. Um, but I use pro, pro football reference to figure out which games were, were grass and which ones were turf. Now, maybe it's a hybrid or something. I don't know how they break it down. All I could do was go by what they said. So these are the teams that had grass, the Pittsburgh Steelers. So that right there is nine games. Pittsburgh Steelers were grass. Las Vegas Raiders, Cleveland Browns, Baltimore Ravens. That's it. When you're looking at turf, obviously these are all road games. According to Pro Football Reference, it was Houston, Los Angeles Rams, Cincinnati, Indy, Seattle, and Buffalo. So those were the turf games versus the grass games. So how did that ultimately turn out? Okay, well, let's look at it. So, so grass versus turf, Jalen Warren on, on grass, I could give you the total numbers, but instead I'm going to give you the averages per game. He averaged 8.25 rushing attempts per game, 46.58 yards per game on grass. Um, that's an average of, of 5.65 yards per carry. Um, his receptions were 3.5 receptions for 23.42 yards on grass. On turf, he averaged 9.67 rushing attempts, so that's over one attempt more in those games per game. 43.83 yards per game, that's less, that's not quite three yards less. So for a 4.53 rushing yards per, per attempt on turf. And then his receptions, 
was also 3.5 per game, but for 17.5 yards. So when you look at it, let's let's look at the receiving yards per game. He had almost six more yards per game on the same amount of receptions. And he had more than a yard per attempt. This is all on grass versus turf. So, so now, this isn't taking into account the quality of opponent. We'll talk about that. This was just grass versus turf. So if you look at Har- or Najee Harris, he had 14.42 rushes uh, per game on grass versus 15.67 on turf. So he had more attempts, just like Jalen Warren. He averaged 54.75 on grass and 69.17 on turf. So that meant Najee Harris had 3.8 yards per attempt on grass and 4.41 yards per attempt on turf. So right there, the numbers tell you. Now, even though Warren technically had more yards per attempt on turf than Harris, Harris did better of the two things, only looking at himself, he did better on turf. Warren did better on grass. Uh, When it came to the... To, to receiving, though, Harris, um, he averaged 2.08 receptions per game on grass, one reception per game on turf, and almost the exact same um, yards per game, 10.25 on grass, 10.33 on turf. So he had just as many yards on, on, on less than half the attempts on turf. So I would say if you had to, to break it down, Najee Harris had better numbers on turf, Caleb Warren had better numbers on grass. There you go when it comes to that. Now let's look at home games versus away games. That, I don't have to tell you which ones are which, like I had to with the turf. So let's just look at home games versus away games. And they had an even number of both. I'll tell you that. Even number of both because I counted the playoff game. So 18 games. At home, Jalen Warren would had per game 8.11 rushing attempts for 40.89 yards. That was 5.04 rush uh, uh, yards per attempt. Uh, receptions were 3.44 a game for 25 yards. On the road, he had 9.33 yards, or sorry, attempts per game, 50.44 yards per game with 5.4 yards. That's 5.4 versus 5.04 for Warren on the road versus home. He also had 3.56 receptions per game, about the same as it was at home, but only 17.89 receiving yards compared to 25. So he rushed rushed better per attempt on the road, but he did better receiving yards-wise at home, if you wanted to look at that from last year. Najee Harris. At home, he had 12.89 rushing yards, or sorry, rushing attempts per game. Um, Where on the road, he was 16.78. So almost four more attempts on the road. We'll talk about why that is the case a little bit later. Um, His rushing yards per game at home was 49.44, where on the road, it was 69.67. His average at home was 3.84 yards, where on the road, it was 4.15. So he also did better on the road. Now, when it came to to receiving, he had um, 2.11 receptions per game at home for 11.22 yards per game. And on the road, it was 1.33 
uh, receptions for 9.33. Not really much of a difference there when you when you look at how much you know of volume. Maybe slightly better on the road, but both of these guys rushed better on the road. So why would that be? Maybe you know what 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 would that have to do with it? Maybe it had to do more about their opponents than it did being home or away or even grass or turf. I'm just giving you the data right now. That's the data. Grass, turf, home, away for those two players. So let's finish it off, polish it off by looking at how they did against good rushing defenses. All right. And I'll be honest with you, this is probably gives there's more discrepancy here. Now I'm not saying the data makes sense because sometimes you go through the data and you're like, you know, can you really draw much of a conclusion with it? Sometimes the answer of there's not much difference is the right answer. That's where the data leads you. You've got to let the data lead you to where it goes, not try to make it fit to what you think it might be. That's that's not what I'm doing here. So this is what I did. I looked at final results of the regular season. Uh, I mean, I, I did the playoff. I include the series play, playoff game here, but I looked at the rushing defense rank for every team. Rushing defense rank, and then I I broke those games into different categories. All right, the first category was ranked tenth or better, and no one and they didn't play someone who played the team that was ranked tenth. So it was single digits, single digit ranking for. Rushing defense. The Steelers played four teams that finished in the top nine, I'll say, in rushing defense. I think you'd be surprised who the four teams are. It's it's not just four teams. It's four games. Because none of the the AFC North teams were were in the top ten in rushing defense. All right, the the, the teams that the Steelers faced in the top ten was San Francisco was third. The New England Patriots were fourth. The Houston Texans were sixth. And the Jacksonville Jaguars were ninth. Those are the four games of what's going on there. And when you look at it, out of those four games, Jalen Warren, 5.75 rushing attempts per game in each of those, looking at each of those games. Um, 16.25 16.25 rushing yards per game in those games. That's low. 2.83 rushing uh, uh, yards per attempt. Now, when it came to receiving, he had 4.75 receptions for per game for 21.5 receiving yards. Remember that. Najee Harris, he averaged 9.75 rushing attempts per game for 36 rushing yards per game, which was a 3.69 yards per attempt. Now, 3.69 doesn't sound good, but that's still better than Warren's 2.83. These guys did not run well against the top rushing defenses. And they also didn't run much. But the Najee Harris had 2.75 receptions per game for 23.75 yards. I think you're going to find a trend when I bring that up when we go to the next one. And, and they're on. Then I looked at teams that were from 11 to 20. And I'll be honest with you, the Steelers didn't didn't have anyone 16 to 20. There was was 11. They were 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. Yeah, there there were seven games, but some of them were duplicates because the 11th best rushing defense was Cleveland. 12th was the Rams. 
13th was Tennessee, 14th was Baltimore, and 15th was Buffalo. So those are the teams. Jalen Warren, 8.29 rushing attempts per game. So that's already 8.29 up from 5.75. Rushing yards per game, 54.29. That's up from 16.25. And the and the rushing yards per attempt, 6.55, up from 2.83. So Jalen Warren, not very good against the top defenders, much better against that middle group. So even if they were a pretty good rushing defense, Jalen Warren can still go out there and do do some pretty good stuff. I mean, he had a hundred. His his biggest game was was uh, at Cleveland with 129 yards. Well, he had that one huge run, which really helped, of course. But um, but now his receptions, he averaged three receptions per game for 25.43 yards. That was up for him. Um, as the yards was up well because it was as well because it was 21.5 before. Najee Harris, he averaged 14.86 rushing attempts per game. 55.14 uh, yards per game, 3.71 yards per attempt. That's very close to the 3.69 he had against the top defenses. He didn't have that much of a difference between the top 10 and the next 10. Now, when it came to receptions, he was 2.14 per game versus 2.75. And the yards were all the way down to 8.86 yards per game, which it was 23.75, if you recall. So Najee Harris did much better getting the ball as a receiver against the very top rushing defenses. Um, didn't bother to throw him the ball for a lot of yards against the middle-of-the-road ones. But Jalen Warren, he saw a bump in his rushing yards when you looked at that middle group. Then you got seven games from the bottom, okay? This was from 21 on. So the Raiders were 21. Uh, let's see here. The Colts were 24. Fourth, the Bengals were 26th, the Packers were 28th, then Seattle was 31st, and Arizona was 32nd. So those two teams are at the very bottom of the NFL. I'll tell you part of the reason why. They're both in the NFC West, so they both had to go against Christian McCaffrey twice was part of the reason they're so low when you think about that. That's also why part of the AFC North isn't as high, because they have to go against other good rushing teams in the North uh, more often than other teams. But if you look at the numbers from those seven games at the bottom, Jalen Warren was given the ball more against these teams. 10.86 uh, attempts, around the same yards, 53.86, as he did against the middle 10. Not as many yards per carry, but it was 4.96, which is still pretty decent. Uh, he had 3.29 receptions per game and 17.43 yards receiving yards per game. Najee Harris saw his carries all the way up to 17.71 per game against these opponents, averaged 77.43 yards per game with 4.37 yards per carry in those contests. So, uh, And then his receptions, he only averaged 0.71 receptions for four yards per game. That was his art receiving. They didn't bother using Najee Harris as a receiver against the lower – Rush, you know, rushing defenses. They just didn't do it. They gave him the ball. So if you look at the progression of Najee Harris, he went from 3.69 for the top 10, 3.71 for the next 10, 4.37 for the for the bottom one. So he got a little bit better and then much better as you, as you went down in competition. Jalen Warren, bad against the top competition, 2.83 uh, yards, yards per attempt, 6.55 for the next 10, 
and 4.96 for the last 10. He saw a big jump when the level of competition went down. So I'll be honest with you. I mean, Najee Harris just still had more volume in general than, than, than Jalen Warren. It's just how it worked. Um, but they obviously did better against the weaker defenses. That's really – so if you're looking next year for your fantasy, just look at how that team is ranked defensively. Now, I know that didn't help you week one against San Francisco. You didn't know they were going to be the number three defense and that Jalen, and that Jalen Warren was going to have three rushes for six yards and Najee Harris was going to have six rushes for 31 yards. I mean, my goodness, Okay. The game that some of the games that really stood out, that one did. But I mean, Najee Harris had a decent average in that game. But I mean, um, New England is the worst. Warren had 1.57 yards per attempt, where Harris had 2.42 yards per attempt. And, but that was against the number four rushing defense in the league. They were not good rushing the ball that game. But then again, Mitch Trubisky wasn't really a concern throwing the ball either. Um, not Najee Harris did not do well against Jacksonville. Jalen Warren did, I mean, 3.8, not great either, but not as bad as Najee's 1.86 uh, per carry. So when you look at those numbers, they just, I mean, not, the the most carries against a top 10 rushing defense was Najee Harris had 14 against Houston, 14 for 71 yards, over five yards per carry. That's the most rushing yards they had against the top defenses. They just didn't rush it as much. The next 10, Najee Harris had double-digit rushing attempts in every game, with the top being 26 against Baltimore in Week 18. Okay, that was the only one over 20. The next closest was 16 against Tennessee. But Jalen Warren, he didn't see that much more rushing attempts. He had double digits against Tennessee, but he had he had three games with nine, which was more than what he had with the previous group. So they ran the ball more. Then you get to the last seven. Once again, Najee Harris, all double digits. 27 against Seattle was the top. I mean, Jalen Warren, he had he had double digits in four of the seven. So what did the Steelers wisely do? Ran the ball more against defenses that weren't as good as weren't as good against the run. There you go. And when you talk about discrepancy of, of who ran better, um, there was less variation with Najee Harris than there was with Jalen Warren. Um But, I mean, Jalen Warren had a better yards uh, per attempt um, in the bottom two tiers, but he he had a much better range of data there. Uh, I mean, much worse – it was more spread out. There we go. That's what I'm trying to get to. So that's the numbers behind the rushing yards. Uh, Sorry I went over a little bit. That was mainly because of my little rant about the numbers with – with uh, awards ceremony, and it it still kind of drives me nuts. But, hey, I want to really – uh, I really want to thank Paul for giving me a question. I need more questions. STLR Superfan Dad, that's my X or Twixter or Twitter, whatever it is. If you add at gmail.com, that's STLR Superfan Dad at gmail.com. That's my email address to send me questions. I want to know what numbers you all want to know so I can do stuff like I just did there with the running backs. Hey, make sure you're checking out all of our podcasts. I'll be back tonight with Brian Anthony Davis and Jeff Hartman for the Steelers preview. Uh, we'll continue to bring you the, the, the same lineup um, throughout the offseason uh, with, you know, a couple of things here or there that occasionally might, might be off based on people's schedules. And, of course, make sure you're checking out steelcurrentnetwork.com. Uh, we're really putting, our, putting our, the data out there, putting the information out there. 
I was kind of frustrated because I noticed some comments after the Scobro show Tuesday night at the end. They're like, oh, there's there's about this many days until the draft. I'm like, I literally just wrote that article for the website. Literally just wrote it that day, counting down the exact number of days to various off-season events, all the way to next Super Bowl. And I'm like, and these are our own people in our live chat. I'm like, are you not going to the website? Please, if you like the podcast, go check out the website because it's really going to help us out if you can do that. All right, I'll stop with that now. I'll be back next Thursday with some more numbers, especially if you all give me some good good questions. And as I always say to close these out, thanks for kicking out. <laughs>